Lessons is a book of the Bible that offers encouragement and hope for our everyday lives. So let's take a look back at where it all began. The book of Ephesians was written by Paul to the Christians living in Ephesus, an ancient Rome city, now modern-day Turkey. The book contains Paul's teachings on faith, obedience, and how to live faithfully as individuals and as a Christian community. In this series, Pastor Bank takes us on a journey through Ephesians that will help us understand how blessed believers are, our position in Christ, and how our blessings should be reflected in our lives in the world. Remember this, God can use us to do his work in this world, no matter where we are or what struggles we may face, as long as you are seeing yourself as God sees you. Morning, everybody. I said, good morning. <laughs> we want to welcome all of you that are in the sanctuary this morning, and we welcome all of our friends and families that are streaming this morning. And we just pray that as we dive into the Word of God, that your life will not only be established, but you're going to thrive in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Yeah. Uh, so first of all, let me talk to all of the traitors in the house. And I want to say that, it's like a pin just dropped. All of those of you guys that were cheering for the, for the Three Lions England to beat the USA the upper week, you, you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. You got your Waterloo yesterday. <laughs> Revenge was sweet, praise God. So much so, they played a penalty kick that went over the bar. Up France, amen. Le Blues. <laughs> oh, King Samuel, you're here. Oh, I didn't, I didn't see you. I'm just... <laughs> amen. But really, truly, on a good note, I want to welcome my brother Tony and Sister Shade Loe. <clears throat> I said that when uh, Yemi and Tunde returned, what, was it last week or week before? Anytime anybody goes to where they went, and came back without having to pay a ransom, it's time for celebration. Amen. Now, now, some of you may not know what I'm talking about, but my brother Kunle, she he remembers this uh, a couple of months ago, we had to pay a ransom because our cousin was kidnapped. Uh, he was traveling from point A to point B, I won't mention the places, so I don't give away the nation. <laughs> and he was abducted on the train and it cost us serious good money to get him out after having been abducted for five months. As I speak, he's going through therapy to get back to normal. Uh, it's not a joke. So when I'm saying these things, I'm not saying it just to be plain. I really, I really mean it. We thank God for their uh, safety, their protection, and for anybody else that's traveling out there, we praise God that you will return in good shape in Jesus' name. And lastly, I want to congratulate Dr. Wume Shokan. <clears throat> She's a doctor now. Just truly, I've been a pastor for the last 20 some years. No doctor. <laughs> She's a doctor. Wow. 
Congratulations, my friend. We thank God for you. Yeah, it's not, you know, for those of you that don't understand it, that don't know the story, uh, it's, it, it's really a story that, that needs to be told. At the right time, in the right place, under the right circumstances, we'll hear the story. To advocate is just beaming from ear to ear here because, I mean, we both know the story. And so, really, it's, it's a real joy. Can, can we just give God a big shout? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, praise God. Amen. The enemy fought and lost. Yes. Big time. Yes. I'll just leave that you know, for another time. Well, praise God. Okay, so this morning we're going to go into the message that we started last week and that we continue on Wednesday, that we're going to continue for weeks, like I said at the beginning, weeks, because this is so deep, so much, so vast, uh, but not only that, but very, very, very rich. Uh, if, I could, if I could describe the book of Ephesians, I'll call it the gold standard on how to be a believer. You know, in, in, in the industry, you have gold, gold, uh, best practices for uh, real estate, uh, gold standard for this. Uh, the book of Ephesians is the gold standard on how to be a believer. And so this morning, <clears throat> we're going to make progress in our teaching I'm going on to talk this morning using the title, Seeing Yourself as God Sees You. Seeing yourself as God sees you. And I really want to encourage all of us to go along and follow through these teachings. If you missed the last two, go back online and watch them. Particularly Wednesday night. Because on Wednesday night, I taught on how to receive the love of God. We're not talking about you loving God now. Because the truth is, you cannot truly love God as you ought to if you've not received what God has given you, his love for you. You cannot give what you don't have. It's just that simple. First John 4, 19. We love God because God first loved us. And that's the problem with the Ephesians church. The Ephesians church was built on the revelation of Christ's love for them. And for a while, it worked. They worked with it. They embraced it. They, they worked in it. But over time, as it is with most things we do, they began to rely upon themselves. They took their eyes off of Jesus. They began to look at their works and the things they did. And before you knew it, they were removed from the love of God, which is the driving force behind any success you can have. That's it. So this morning... Let's just dive into it. Seeing yourself as God sees you. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, and verse 11. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, and verse 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That, that itself preaches. But, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm just a pastor. So, <laughs> so I'm going to move on. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Remember that, in love. Everything God did for me and you was done in his love for us. In, not because we deserved it. Not because we merited it, not because we earned it. No, none of that. You need to constantly remind yourself of that. 
having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Oh my goodness, no matter who you are, what you are, where you've been, what you've done, you must remind yourself this morning, Jesus, I mean God, accepts you in his son. No controversy, no argument, no debate. You are accepted, not on the basis of your merit. No. But when God looked at his son, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well placed. The Bible now tells me, and you God placed me and you in him. So because of Jesus, don't ever forget that. Everything we have, everything we are is because of Jesus. We are accepted in the beloved. Verse 11. Ah, in him also. I see what he did was not enough. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Let me just take a pause. Miracle man, bra lucky. Tell your wife, say, I have obtained an inheritance. Tell her. Aha, you see that you are not listening. You see? <laughs> I wonder how many more people. How many? Who else was not listening? <laughs> Tell her I've obtained an inheritance. Okay. All right. That, that was close enough. Let's go. Say I'm you. Tell him I've obtained an inheritance. Bishop, tell your wife you've obtained an inheritance. I have obtained an inheritance. Amen. Brother, tell her you've obtained an inheritance. Church, let's just say it out loud. We have obtained an inheritance. Woo, glory to God. Amen. Now we're going to unpack that as we close. But I just wanted to make sure you get that. In him also. Also meaning after all these other things. In him also. Also. Don't forget. Yes. Chosen in love. Yes. Adopted a son. Yes. Accepted. In him also. Please, can you just add this also to it? This is a bonus. This is an extra. You've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, you see, I'm, I'm trying to hurry so much to get to the punchline, but I've got to take my time. Now, the book of Ephesians, like I told you, I believe is the gold practice, gold standard, rather, of all what it means to be a believer. In this message to the efficient church and now to us, Paul describes the church, our position in Christ, our union with Christ, the blessings that come to us as a result of that position and union and the expectations of God upon us as a result of our position, our union, and the blessings. I think it's important we get that. So, the epistle can be divided into two sections. There is a doctrinal section, and there's a practical section. It's a doctrine. What, what, what does that mean? Simply, just take like this, teachings. 
instructions, sets of beliefs, the doctrinal. So the book is divided into two. You have the doctrinal, which tells us our belief system, uh, the teachings, instructions, all the things God has done. And the practical section that simply tells me and you how to live or conduct ourselves on the basis or as a result of the doctrine, the blessings, the beliefs, and instruction. Are you following me so far? So chapters 1 to 3 of the book of Ephesians addresses the great truths concerning our redemption and what God has done for us in Christ. This is helpful. As a young believer, growing up reading these books, I had no idea. I'm just reading. Just reading. But what I'm sharing with you helps you put the book in perspective. First three chapters, this which are redemption and all the things that God has accomplished for us in Christ. The second section, which is the practical section, which is chapters 4 through 6, it goes on to present to me and you God's expectations in terms of Christian conduct as a result of what God has done. See, a lot of people that do not understand the message of God's grace think that, we, that grace is so loose, it's so light, there are no, uh, there are, there are no checks and balances. Uh, oh, God's loved you, He's giving you grace, just go and do anything you want. No, 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 no. When you read the book, that's what I'm telling you, this is the gold standard. First three chapters deals with your blessings. Chapters four through six, the last three chapters deals with your responsibility as a result of the blessings God's given. Now, Paul is so incredible that he further devised the second and the practical section into two divisions. Remember, chapters one to three, doctrine, teachings, your blessings, your position, your union. Chapters four to six, the practical aspect of how we should live. Now that chapters four to six, it now further divides into two. The second and practical half of the letter may be further divided into its subject matter sections, chapter four to one, chapter four verse one through chapter six verse nine is the longer section. And that addresses how we should live in the world. And then the second part of that practical section, which is the much shorter section, describes to me and you our attitude in conflict with the enemy. Oh, my goodness. So in all, we can say we have three divisions. Number one, chapters one, two, three, explaining and setting forth the believer's position in Christ. Number two division, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, describing our life in the world. And the last part, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, through verse 24, describing our attitude, what our attitude ought to be to the enemy. Now, so for this morning, because it's so much, I just want to focus on that very first section, 
chapters 1 to 3. The section that tells us about the benefits, the blessings, our position, and our union with God, which really, in one phrase, how God sees you. How God sees you. It is very, very important that you and I understand that because if we don't understand that, we're just going to be going around doing things and really, really trying to, we live on the earth, we don't understand what's happened. It's very, very important. Now, in laying out this whole book, there are three key words that we should be mindful of. Three key words. And each of these key words reveal or becomes a clue as to what the apostle is addressing. Three key words that makes it easy. Word number one, the word seat, as in S-I-T or S-E-A-T, seat. That addresses the fact that Jesus Christ, as we speak, is seated in heavenly places. Now, that's not just Jesus' position alone. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says for me and you that we are seated together with him in the heavenly places. So what this reveals to me is the perspective from which this apostle was writing is a perspective from heaven. Amen? The second key word is the word walk. W-A-L-K. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Where Paul is telling us that because of everything that God has done, therefore, that we should walk worthy of the calling where we have been called. So that area, that section describes or addresses the issue of our conduct walking, okay? We sit, we walk, and lastly, Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he said, haven't done all that you can do. What does he say to do? Stand. Stand. Okay? Sitting, talking about position in Christ. Walking, talking about conduct here on the earth. And standing, describing our attitude where the enemy is concerned. Now, let me just say this before I move on into seeing yourself as God sees you. I cannot tell you how many uh, family seminars I've done. Oh, in fact, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me even rephrase that. I cannot tell you how many times I've canceled a man that's having a struggle in his marriage, and I said to him, go home and love your, love your wife. Or I'll tell the woman, you know, the scripture, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, submit to your husband. It doesn't say in the scriptures. But do you know how impossible that is for a man or a woman who's not seated? Oh, okay, you didn't get it. We are given the conclusion of a matter, and they've never even started. There is no man, no matter how beautiful your wife is, that you can love her the way God has described the way we should love our spouses. If you are not sitting with Christ in heavenly places. Okay. Years ago, I've told this story before. Let me tell it again. Let me report myself. We live in Atlanta, a neighborhood I would not like to go back and live in. Thieves broke into my house in the middle of the night. Uh, I think I heard Kunle. Kunle was, he was living with me then. I think it was him that said, thief, thief, thief. What? Thief? Okay. 
My wife and I lay, lay in a bed. I'm born again. I know Ephesians chapter 5. Husband loves a wife. Husbands love a wife. But when I heard the word thief, <laughs> in the middle of the night, in a place called Kirkwood, which means those guys are mean, okay? The only thing that came to me at that moment was Bank Akimola, you better take care of yourself. <laughs> I jumped out of the bed, ran into the closet. I'm going to take care of number one. I'm hearing my wife from the closet say, where's the thief, where's the thief? I say, okay, all right, go, keep on looking for him. <laughs> now, you guys are laughing because now it's funny. But the point is, I was not seated with Christ in the heavenly places. At that point, all I'm seeing is TV 5 News, TV 11. This man was shot. This woman was killed. This, I'm saying, I'm not going to be a part of the statistics. This is the point I'm making. We have prayer videos. We are praying, 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 fiery prayer, pray, 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 pray. We miss what Paul said. The first word is spoken, Ephesians 6, 10. Finally. Finally. What does finally mean? Finally means after you have taken consideration of all the other things preceding it. So we want to jump in the warfare. We are not seated in heavenly places. We are not walking. We just want to stand. You can't stand. You'll be praying amiss. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. I just congratulate Dr. Wumit for being a doctor. She made it. She passed. She's not, she has a doctorate. Can I, say, can I now say I envy her and go to the same school and say, please give me a doctorate? My friend is Wumi. I know her very well. She just gave me a testimony. You guys are very good. Please, thank you very much. You gave her a Can I get one too? Is that the way it works? No. I see. Why can I not do that? There's a protocol. There are procedures. There are things that must be in place before I can jump into that. So we are praying prayers that are missing. It's, just, it's like, it's like the uh, missiles in Russia and Ukraine. Just missing and crisscrossing. Because we're not seated in heavenly places. We don't know what it means to be seated. We're definitely not walking, and therefore we cannot stand. So I'm saying to you, the Christian walk begins not with standing. It does not begin with walking. It begins with sitting. You can only make progress and grow as a believer when you're seated. You must first learn to sit, and then you can walk. And then you can stand. Now, we're going to unpack that later, but I just want to give you guys the overview on that as we move on. How much more time do I have? Uh, Pierre, France won yesterday. So you know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Praise God. See yourself as God sees you. You see, God is so good. In John chapter 1, in verses 45 and 47, 
The Bible says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there's no deceit. Can, can, you, can, can you reconcile that? Nathanael was busy bowed mouthing Jesus. Jesus saw him moments later. Has that ever happened to you? You're talking about your neighbor or your friend or your sister, and you turn around, they're right there behind you. Do you know how that makes you feel guilty? Because you are gossiping about them, and yeah, here they show up. Jesus shows up, or he shows up before Jesus, and Jesus says, oh, behold, an Israelite, whom there's no God. What? Did you hear what I just said about you? Jesus was looking at him and was not defining him on the basis of his lowness, but was rather defining him on the basis of what he saw that has taken place in the eternal past. An Israelite in whom there's no girl. Oh. Church tradition says Nathaniel, that's him, Nathaniel, carried a translation of Matthew's gospel to northern India. Legion's claims he was crucified upside down in Albania. So much so for a guy who was a skeptic. How does a skeptic turn into a fan like that? What happened? Jesus defined him not on the basis of his circumstances where he found him, but he defined him on the basis of what he saw in his future. What are you saying about yourself? Are you defining yourselves on the basis of what's happening to you now? Let's take one more. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, Gideon, son of Joash, was stretching with at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain for the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. This it, it, it almost sounds like, come on, man. This man, Gideon, is hiding from the Midianites. His knees are knocking and shaking with fright. Yet the Lord calls him the mighty man of valor. Ah. Are you making fun of me, God? Is that what you're doing? No. You see, God did not see him in his weakness. But God saw him in his true identity. And that's what you and I need to recognize. I'm hoping through these teachings, we begin to really take on the true identity that will be given by God. The man saw himself as a weak man, but God says, you are a mighty man of valor. Why? Because as a child of God, God is with you. And if God is with you then, who can be against you? So, in 2 Kings chapter 6, seeing yourself as God sees you, verses 14 through 17. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. 
when the servant of the man of God called, got up early next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what we will do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Elisha's words were, don't be afraid. Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. You see, Elisha's servant was restless while Elisha was resting. Ah, you missed that. <laughs> Elisha's servant was restless. Remember Martha and Mary? Mary was sitting at the feet, taking in the word, getting her faith built. Martha was restless, going up and down, doing all kinds of things. And Jesus said, only one thing is needful. And Mary has that thing and it will not be taken away from her. Elisha could rest because he's seated. Elisha's servant was restless, restless because he was not seated. He was not seated. Okay? The servant, like many of us do, gave more credence to what he saw than what was in reality. He was giving more credence to the current condition, to the natural circumstance of what he was seeing than to what's in reality. He saw the problem, but he never saw the solution. Why? Because the solution always originates from the spirit realm. And that's why we need to be seated. That's our position. That's where we are. Elisha was restful because he was aligned with God's perspective. The servant needed his eyes to be enlightened. Isn't this amazing? Because, because Paul prayed a prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. One of the prayers, after he's given them all these incredible teachings about their redemption and what God has done for them, he closed that chapter with prayer. Why? Because he recognized that, listen, I'm saying so many things that may be new or strange to you. I want God's spirit to help you to get it. He prayed that the eyes of the understanding may be enlightened so they can see from God's perspective and not just be limited to their own realm. And it's amazing here that in 2 Kings, Elisha keyed into the same concept. He saw his servant fretful, worried, in anxiety, and said, God, open his eyes. I'm not, listen, I'm not going to try to tell him, God, I, I won't waste my time. I don't want to try to tell him because telling him, I'm wasting my time. He can't see. If I tell him, he can say it. If I tell him everything is going to be fine, if I tell him all is well, God, open his eyes. Let him see what I'm seeing. And God opened his eyes, bang. Listen, the circumstances that's trying to pin you down, you must understand that God has the circumstance itself cornered. Yeah. It's got them cornered. You think you're hedged in. And in the natural, it may be so. But you must understand that God himself has etched in what's hedging you in. Yeah. Absolutely. Look what Elisha did. Three things. Number one, exhortation. He knew what the guy was bringing to him. The guy was afraid. And he didn't want his fear to contaminate him. He said, don't be afraid. Exhortation. Fear not. Fear not. Do you know what fear would do to you? I know many people 
who have been sick, but they didn't know the name of the sickness until the doctor named it. And they heard the word, the big C. You have this. Hey! Immediately, fear all the people they know that died from that disease. And no matter what else the doctor is trying to do or God is trying to do, your mind is so saturated with fear, you can't get off that fear avenue. Fear. So immediately Elisha said, wait, 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 wait a minute. Yes, I see the enemies. Yes, I see them. I see them, but fear not. Fear not. And then what did he do? Intercession. So first exhortation, next intercession. God opened his eyes. God, I know what you've done. Oh my God. Elisha was, it must have been, Elisha must have understood the gospel of grace. Notice what Elisha didn't do. Elisha, Elisha didn't say, God send help. Whew, you guys missed that. Elisha did not pray that God should send some help. He knew help was already present. And that's the point of this whole message of the book of Ephesians. We need to learn how to pray correctly. He wasn't praying, God, oh, please, God, help us. God, no, he knew help was already present. God is a very present help in time of trouble. It's not about to catch, uh, uh, get on Highway 85 to come to rescue you. No, it's not about to catch uh, Highway 316 and get a uh, ride on Uber and lift. No, it's already there. You just need to be aware that it's there already. God opened his eyes. And then, of course, manifestation came. Exhortation, intercession, and manifestation. Now, in closing, I'm hoping that as your eyes are open, you're going to gain a swagger you never had. Confidence. I'm a child of God. You know, you know what, when you fully, truly understand that, you know how that changes your perspective? You're, all of a sudden, you're not begging for bread. You understand that the maker of bread, who makes bread himself, is your father. Oh, my goodness. It changes everything. So I want to close on God helping you and I to understand the difference between transactional or relational approach to God. Because for most, for many of us, our relationship with God is transactional. It's a transaction. Oh, when I was, yeah, well, we, 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 you go to the doctor's office, you go to this public place, you see vending machines, soda machine. You know sodas are in there, but try to get it out without, without putting money in it. Get before the soda machine and start speaking in tongues. <laughs> okay. Transaction must take place. Four quarters for a soda. One, two, three, four. The machine gets your coins, spits out the soda. Transaction. Don't you know that that's the same mentality we bring to God? When you are not established in the message of God's grace for you. We're trying to make a deal with God like Jacob did in Genesis, Genesis chapter 20. 
Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God be with me and keep me in this way, that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on. Really, Jacob? So that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Really? And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be, my, shall, be, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give you a ten. Transaction. This Petrach was making a, tra- it was making a deal with God. What cutting a deal. Give me food to eat, close to where. Take me out, bring me back in peacefully. God, when you do that, I'll build you a house. Not only will I build you a house, I'll give you a tenth of what I, uh, everything I own. Does that sound like some of us? Ah, nobody will answer. Nobody will answer. God, if you give me that promotion, I'm going to increase my giving. You're, you're making the transaction. God, if my son gets admission to Harvard, I'm going to do XYZ. Transaction. Transaction. So we reduce God to a transactional relationship. We're cutting deals. God, you do this, I'll do that. You know what that is? That is the law. You're back under the law. Because that's the essence of the law of Moses. If you do this, I'll do that. If you don't do this, I will not do that. Most of our prayer time is full of that. Now, we have gotten sophisticated. We don't say it quite like that any longer. So for us today, we will not write it out. God, if you do this, I will do No. So what do we do? I'll pray two hours a day. If I just increase my prayer to two hours, God will move. If I increase my fasting from one day a week to three days a week, God will answer. Transaction. Are you kidding me? Have you not read that God rests on the just and the unjust? Even people that are heathen, God blesses them. If that's not enough, Jesus said, look at the lilies of the field. They do not toil nor spin. And yet, God clothes them. He, my God, what, what will it take? Let's go to where I want to close. Luke, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Verse 17 through 19. But when he came to himself, this is the younger of the two sons of Luke chapter 15. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Oh, my goodness. If you have time, please read the entire Luke chapter 15. Because it starts out by saying Jesus gave a parable, singular. A parable, singular. But in giving that singular parable, he told us three stories. Three stories or three aspects of the same parable. In 15 verse 4, he talks about the shepherd who had to go and retrieve a sheep that was lost. That aspect of this parable shows us the heart of Jesus the Son. He's a chief shepherd. In verse 7 of verse 8 of that Luke 15, he talked about a woman who, having lost her coin, was searching diligently till she will find it. That aspect reveals to us 
the work and the role of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, ears have heard, no eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for them that love him. In verse 10, it says, but it's revealed to us by his spirit. How? He said, for the spirit searches the deep things of God. So that woman who was searching for our coin tells us the role that the Holy Spirit is playing in our lives now. And then from verse 11 on, it talks about the Father. I mean, it's so clear, it's so easy. The Son, the Spirit, then the Father. <laughs> Give me that Luke 15. Let, let, me just, let me just say this first. Luke 15, is it verse 10 or 11? We are told that the Father had two sons. And the younger son came to the Father and said, Give me what belongs unto me. And for so long, me inclusive. I've taught that to say that the boy was wrong in asking for a father to give something because the father was not dead. We've forgotten the meaning of a parable. What is the meaning of a parable? A parable is a natural story that Jesus told to convey a spiritual truth. What's the point? <laughs> in the natural you and I don't get our inheritance until somebody dies. But in the spirit realm, the moment you become a child of God, your inheritance is immediately available to you from that moment forward. You are not waiting for anybody to die. You are just simply walking to your inheritance. Why? Because you are a child of God. Oh my gosh. I hope you got what I just told you. So if you're looking for your inheritance when you get to heaven, oh my goodness. Oh, oh, oh my show. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I don't know how to say it. I, 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 I'm sorry. I don't know how to say it in, Sp in French or Spanish or what? No, your inheritance is available now. But look at this man. Look at this boy. He went out, squandered the goods, he's coming back home. But he's coming back home with a transactional mindset. In my father's house, there's bread to spare, food to eat. I'm here lavishing. Okay, I'll make a deal. I'll return. I'll make a deal with my father. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me a servant. Transaction! Is that not what we do? I've blown it big time. I've sinned. I've done something way out there. And I'm saying, God, I promise you in Jesus' name, I'll never do that again. Really? Is he looking for your promise? Rather, he's looking for you to accept his promise. We're making him promises. Oh, God, if you just help me, I will never do that again. He's not looking for that. He just wants you to grow up and receive your true identity and understand how to walk in your inheritance. After all, the Bible says in Hebrews 4, 16, come boldly to the throne of grace. Notice, it's the throne of grace, not the throne of judgment. What are you doing in this, at this throne? Thank you, King Selwyn. Boldness, that's important. I almost went quickly too, too quickly over that. Boldness. 
you know, when you feel guilty, when you feel ashamed, when you feel like you're not worthy, when you feel like you're not, you, you have no boldness, all of those things take boldness out of your system. You're barely limping. It's almost Christmas. You want your father and your parents to give you whatever the toy is. But, but you don't have boldness. You, 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 you barely just, okay, daddy, you know what? If, if you don't mind, that, that, that toy, a target. If you don't, what, what happened to you? Life has sucked your boldness away. I've never seen a child that comes home from school, goes to the refrigerator and there's no milk, and is crying and begging. They just merely announce, Daddy, there's no milk. <laughs> mommy, there's no Pop-Tart. That's the correct language. It means, Mommy, get in your car, go to the store, buy me some Pop-Tarts. <laughs> It's not that simple. It's not, I mean, listen, God has given us all these examples so we can understand how this thing works. That's how it works. You know, you, you have, even things are high ticket items, your school fees. They just simply get the invoice and go, come home and say, Daddy, this is my invoice. Go and pay. Which card are you going to use? <laughs> how you pay for it is your business. I don't care. <laughs> just pay. Yeah. We can learn from them. Ah, I know I said any clothes to close. Okay. Pay how much more time I have. <laughs> remember, remember killing Mbappe, okay? <laughs> okay, so, okay, all right. I, do, I don't want to overspend my welcome. Let me, let me, let me just cut it out here. Where well, there's so much more though. So on Wednesday night, I want to show you how to receive your inheritance. Not how to get it is what's important. Not how to get it. You, do, you don't have to try to get it. It's already yours. But this Sunday morning setting doesn't... Listen, my preference would have been for us to come here for like three weeks every day. Like what we do in Sri Lanka. I know this is not Sri Lanka. <laughs> I know this is not Sri Lanka, but I will allow Really, that's how you get the most out of these teachings. Bam, 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 bam. Okay, but in the absence of that, we're going to leverage what we have. And we're going to be thankful for that. Because there are those that don't even have access at all. So Wednesday night, I want to show you how to receive your inheritance. Amen? And so let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you for our time together this morning that the understanding and seeing ourselves the way, we, the way you see us will help change our mindset give us a paradigm shift where we will no longer relate to you transactionally but where we begin to relate to you as in a relationship calling you Abba Father because that's who you are and you've sealed this identity with your Holy Spirit. And so, oh God, I thank you. Thank you that you are helping us. If there's someone out there that's not born again, you are not even able to use this ID, I want to pray for you that God, by his Spirit, will draw you, that you will give your life to Jesus and allow Jesus Christ to do a new work in you and you can be a part of his family. Because if any man be in Christ, it's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all 
things have become new. You need to be born again. And for those of us that are born again, we are struggling. Maybe there's a loss. Maybe there's a sickness. Maybe there's a tough situation. And we are constantly battling, trying to define ourselves on the basis of these struggles. I pray for your deliverance today in Jesus' name. I pray that you will no longer see yourself on the basis of those things, those changeable and things that are being compromised. You never, you will not continue to see yourself on the basis of those things, those things that do change, but that you see yourself by those things that do not change. Romans 8, 38, 39, Paul says it. Nothing shall be ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ that's in Christ, love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Father, help us to understand that even when bad things happen, it does not remove who you are. It does not change who we are in you and through you. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to understand that. Help us, Father. We honor you and we bless you now and forever, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.